I want to thank Ren Wallen, my friend, for taking the class last week. We were on a, a trip with our granddaughter, and so um, I got to see it live stream, which is how you're seeing it, and that was, that was a great experience for me. Enjoyed the teaching. We're in the last of this series on the great victories of the Bible. I suppose that we could be... Um, <clears throat> We could stretch it out. There are some other things that we certainly could have talked about. But today, we're going to talk about the final defeat of Satan. And I'm calling this last lesson, the last battle. So I think within all of us, there's this desire to see Satan ultimately defeated. We struggle against him every day. I do every day. I'm tempted by him. Uh, he, he's deceiving me. Um, he pushes me in the wrong direction. Um, and so I, I long for the day that his influence will be gone. And the good news is that there's coming a day when that will happen. And so today we're going to talk about that. And uh, let's, let's build a little background so that uh, when we get to that point, um, there's a little more understanding and meaning. Satan was, of course, involved uh, from the very beginning, right after God created the heavens and the earth and created the animals and then created man in his image. Um, there was Satan. He was, um, he was tempting them right at the beginning. And you know the story that God had given all of this beautiful garden to Adam and Eve to manage and had given them access to everything except for one tree. And he said, keep from that tree. And uh, Satan came along and, and you know the story. He said, is it true that God said you can't eat from any of these trees? And um, Eve had, had it right. She said, no, we can. We can eat from all of these, but we're not supposed to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden because in the day that we eat from it, we'll die. And Satan says, you won't die. Oh, so his M.O. from the very beginning has been to um, discount God's word to people who are trying to follow it and others. And he did that at the very beginning with Eve. He says, You're, God said specifically, when you eat from it, you'll die. He comes to Eve and says, you won't die. And so he's been a liar from the very beginning, a deceiver. And then he says, and he explains, and he paints God in this really bad light. He says, God knows that when you eat of that tree, you're going to have all this understanding. And he, did, he just doesn't want you to be like him. And so, um, again, that's been happening from the beginning. How many people have struggled with some aspect of God's character? Maybe something in the scriptures they didn't understand. And Satan has taken that and used that to draw them away from him. Well, he did that at the very beginning. And uh, you know the rest of the story. Eve took the fruit. She gave some to Adam. They ate. And as soon as they ate, they understood good and evil. Uh, they realized they were naked. They hid from God. And when God finally intersected with them, um, he asked them why they why they did it and uh, they they talked about satan 
And uh, so, Satan, so God confronted Satan. He also confronted Adam and Eve, but he confronted Satan. And this is what he said to him at the very beginning when there were just two people on the earth. Let's look at Genesis 3, 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, because you've tempted and deceived these people, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Let's think about that for just a minute. So her offspring, can you think of any of her offspring that crushed the head of Satan? Well, she, God is obviously talking about his son, Jesus, that when he came to this earth and he died on the cross and paid for our sins, he crushed the head of Satan. And in a real sense, We'll do that again in the, the story that we tell today. Now, Satan would strike his heel. In the process of Jesus um, paying for the sins of mankind, he lost his life. By comparison to what would happen to Satan, that was like hurting his heel. And uh, so this is a prophecy about Jesus. And so at the very beginning, God had planned that his head would be crushed. How many of you know that if your head is crushed, you don't survive? God wasn't just thinking about slowing him down, but he was thinking about his destruction. He knew that it would come to that and that he would need to be destroyed. And that's what our story is about today. So at the cross, Satan bruised the heel of, of our Savior. Um, but he was ultimately defeated, even though he didn't know it. He thought perhaps that he had won. Um, Jesus was dead. And, but he didn't realize that by dying, Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world so that he would no longer have this trump card of death over people who would put their faith in him and believe. It was a great thing. And... So um, at the cross, Satan began to be defeated. But he continued to tempt and to lie and deceive. And he's, he's been doing that to us all of our lives. But there's coming a day when God will say, enough. And we'll start an eternal time clock. And this time clock begins with the return of Christ. And I'd like for you to look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So the thing that starts the clock is when Jesus comes back and we who are dead in Christ come out of the graves 
and rise to meet him and those who are alive in Christ on earth also rise to meet him in the air. The Lord doesn't come to the earth to set up his kingdom on the earth, but he takes his people out of the earth to be with him in heaven. And with the absence of godly people, and some people believe even the Holy Spirit at that point, that um, then Satan begins to dominate on earth. And he does it through a person that um, the Apostle Paul calls the man of lawlessness. And you can read about him in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. This man of lawlessness, also known as um, the Antichrist or the beast of Revelation chapter 13, um, he will uh, rule and he will... um, establish his kingdom on this earth and it will be not so bad at first but by the end of his rule uh, when uh, things begin to wrap up uh, it will be severe and evil and there will be much heartache but there will be people who come to faith uh, in Christ during that time period Uh, some people have called that the period of the of the tribulation, a seven-year period that's described in Scripture. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that at this point. But at the end of that seven years, um, an an incredible tribulation, at the end of that seven years, there's going to be an uprising of Satan and this man of lawlessness or the beast and the false prophet who was uh, an aide to the, to the beast. And uh, these people uh, garner a, a huge army and they come against uh, the forces of God. And we're going to read about that right now. So let's go to Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. And so John, in uh, his writing of Revelation, says this, and he's, he's seeing a vision. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And so, um, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't think there's any doubt about who we're talking about here, none other than Jesus himself. He's coming from heaven, and he's coming with the armies of heaven. Um, Would that be angelic beings? Would it be um, people who have gone to heaven, who are coming back to fight with him? Uh, We're not sure exactly, but there is an army that's following him, and they're coming to engage the nations 
Uh, let's read starting in verse 17 now. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. And so God is anticipating a great slaughter and a great victory for him and his kingdom. And here's a description now of Satan and his forces. Then I saw the beast, and remember the beast of Revelation is either a reference to this man of lawlessness or the nation that um, he rules or the kingdom that he rules. But in this case, I believe it's speaking of the person, the man of lawlessness, sometimes known as the Antichrist. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse in his army. Can you imagine anything so um, absurd to wage war against God himself, against Jesus himself, who rose from the dead, defeated death, and now seated at the right hand of God? This is, this is the insanity of Satan and the beast whom he inspired and his false prophet. We don't have a lot of detail about this war, um, we just know that it was won, and by what was said ahead of time, that there was a great slaughter. The birds of the air were called to the spot and um, basically said, have a feast. Verse 20, but the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Verse 21. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So... Let's, let's pause for just a moment uh, back in those two verses. Uh, so back in, in chapter 19, um, at the end of this chapter, uh, it talks about uh, the rest being killed with a sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. It's like even though Jesus was accompanied by um, the armies of heaven, it seems as though he is, he is the only one doing the fighting. And when you think about it, the sword coming out, out of his mouth, what would that be? It sounds to me like that's his word, that he actually annihilates the armies of the Antichrist and the false prophet and of Satan himself with the word of his mouth. You might remember that one of our recent studies was the study of the great victory that happened under uh, the kingship of King Hezekiah when Assyria came and surrounded Jerusalem. And, um, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord and he said, God, um, you see what the king of Assyria has threatened us and we need your help. And so God spoke the word 
And the armies of Assyria, 185,000 of them, were killed in a single night, not by a sword, but by the word of God. He spoke it, and it happened. That's how it will happen in this mighty battle at the end, is that Jesus will speak the word, and they will be slain. And then the birds will gorge themselves on their flesh. This is no um, symbolic battle. This is a real battle. Um, and uh, this is what will take place. Now let's go ahead and read uh, the next few verses in chapter 20. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Honestly, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed um, I would love to see Satan defeated, period, at that point. And uh, the, the um, beast or uh, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they are thrown into the lake of fire. That's the, their eternal home where they will, they will spend their time there forever and ever. But Satan... The instigator of all, the, all of this is just kept locked up for a thousand years. He's kept from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years are ended. And then we're told he must be set free for a short time. So what's going to happen during this thousand years is that uh, without the influence of Satan, there's going to be it's going to be the best time ever on, on the earth. Um, Christ is going to rule on the earth. And um, those that, were, that lost their lives during the time of tribulation will rise from the dead and will help to rule. Um, people will live a long time. There will still be death, um, but people will live a long time. Uh, it seems like things will be really good on earth. But after th the thousand years, there's going to happen something that none of us are looking forward to. And I'd like for us to read about that right now, starting in verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, Gog is probably the name of a ruler and Magog the, the name of his land. And to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the, on the seashore. So Satan's influence on these, uh, these nations is going to be significant. It's not small. And you ask yourself, after a thousand years of idyllic living, and seeing the good that came to the earth through the rule of Christ, how could Satan deceive people into following him? But he does. 
And he gathers again a huge army for battle in number like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. We're obviously talking about Jerusalem. And we don't have, again, very much detail. It's very short. It's, it's, it's pretty much a sentence here. But let's read it. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's it, folks. That's the battle. This great number of people that came against God uh, to fight at the instigation of Satan, that serpent, the devil, the dragon, as he's called in the book of Revelation. Uh, they're devoured. And then verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I don't like to think about that and I don't want to dwell on it too long, but I am so glad that there is an eventual end to our enemy, the devil. He's beyond redemption. Uh, he, his, his purpose in existence, in existing, is to draw men and women into sin so that they can suffer the consequences of their sin, which is death and separation from God. That is his greatest delight to destroy. And God's all about saving and God's all about healing and God's all about rewarding and God's all about peace and prosperity. And Satan is against all of that and yet he deceives people into thinking that he is for it and he tempts them to do things that cause them not to be blessed but to be cursed. And so his end is a great thing and it's coming now, I'd like to think that um, we could defeat Satan even before then, and we can. And so let's talk about that for just a minute. Jesus, you might remember, was tempted by Satan in the wilderness before he began his ministry. Sa satan came to him and um, because he was hungry, he, he tempted him to use his power to create bread out of rocks. Um, he tempted him to, to kind of display his power to the people by jumping off a pillar of the temple. And then he offered this temptation to um, give Jesus the kingdoms of the world as if he could do that. Uh, they belonged to God anyway. And uh, by, by Jesus bowing down and worshiping him. And so um, Jesus defeated Satan by quoting scripture, using scripture in each one of those situations, and resisting the temptation of the enemy. If Satan could have gotten Jesus to sin in those moments in the wilderness, where would we be today? Where would the whole plan of salvation be? Where would heaven and eternal life be? It would be gone. 
Satan knew that. And so he tempted him. And uh, finally, at that last temptation, when he tried to get Jesus to bow down and worship him, Jesus said, it is written, you should worship only God and serve him. And he said, be gone to Satan. And Satan left him. Now, we have the same tools today to fight Satan. We have scripture. And scripture is a great way to fight Satan when he comes to tempt us. We have to know it to use it. But to speak scripture to the enemy when he's tempting us or to recite it in your mind or to go to a passage and read it is a great way to deal with temptation. Um, James 4 verse 7 has this to say, and I wonder if we could go to, to that right now. Um, it says this, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the way that we defeat the enemy and the way that we get him to leave is to resist him. And it's, it's actually the hardest thing to do. Uh, one of the temptations that Satan throws at all of us, he, he makes us think that we're unable to resist him. I'm too weak to resist. I want that so much I can't resist. And it's, it's deception on his part. You can resist him. I can resist him. And we need to resist him. And if we do, he will flee from us. It's a huge promise. It's a, it's a great promise. It's a blessing. It's a way to have victory over him even before the last battle, even before the final victory that God will win when he is finally defeated for the last time and thrown into the lake of fire where he will spend eternity forever and ever. Now, let's end on a positive note today. And I'd like to take you to a few scriptures in Revelation 21. And this is just a view of what's going to happen after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. Um, then everything changes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now let's stop for just a minute. So a new heaven and a new earth. This earth is going to change. It's going to be different. And uh, though we don't have a long time to talk about all of this, uh, one of the things that's going to be different about it, there's not going to be any sin and because there's no sin, there'll be no death. Death and decay will be gone from the earth. We'll have trees that will live forever. There's no death. There's no decay. That's gone. And the, the scripture also says there was no longer any sea. Let's go on to the next verse. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Can you imagine God dwelling with us, living among us, walking into our, our gatherings and being present with us? It's going to be like it was in the Garden of Eden when God came down and he walked with Adam and Eve. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. One more verse. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Can you imagine that? For the old order of things has passed away. There's so much more we could say, but um, let's leave it at that for now. There is a final battle coming in which Satan will be defeated and he will be cast into the lake of fire. There is an end to his deception and to his temptation. And we can have an end now if we resist him. Because if we resist him, he will flee. Let's be all about that. Let's be all about resisting him. I want to mention one thing and then I want to lead you in prayer. This is going to be the end of the series on the great victories of the Bible. And next week, we're going to start a new series. And the series is going to be uh, from the book of Proverbs. I believe that um, God has a, a unique blessing for us um, as we study the Proverbs. And so uh, we'll begin that next week. I encourage you to, to read the Proverbs. Um, the best way is just to start at the beginning of the book and read all the way to the end. Um, take your time. Take time to chew on some of the things that are being said. They're meant to be chewed on. And uh, we'll have a great time together next week. Let's pray, though, as we close today. Dear Lord, thank you so much that there is an end to this evil that we feel all around us. We're so discouraged when we see it rear its head in our world. We're so discouraged when we see people we love biting the temptations that Satan throws to them. And God, we long to see the day when his influence will be gone. Thank you for giving us that view in your word that there will be a day when that influence will be gone. And we're looking forward to that day. Thank you, God, that you have won the victory through the death of your son on the cross and his resurrection. And you will finally defeat the enemy on that last battle. We're looking forward to that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.